Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 20 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today I'm joined by Ceci Bonzi, President and CEO of Blue, and we will talk about unlocking NFT gaming and DeFi value at the point of sale. So welcome. Thanks for joining me all the way from the other side of the world. (laughs) Yes, the complete opposite side. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So if we could start out, I would like to hear about your background in life and business and kind of what brought you to where you are. Sure, absolutely. Um, So originally I was an attorney. I practiced uh, several years in the financial services space, doing consulting for startups on their payment strategies, cross-border transactions, mobile transactions, and really looking at how to deliver payments um, seamlessly and efficiently um, for customers in different use cases. And so in that process, I I started to understand how payment systems work, um, a deep expertise in in infrastructure of payments. And I also realized that when it comes to payments overseas in developing countries, they don't have the traditional standard um, payment flows that you would expect to see, let's say in the US, right? Visa and MasterCard don't, don't exist. And so I really got interested in, in how to how to create infrastructure. How do you create systems of payment? How do you get merchants and customers um, to really interact with one another and buy into uh, a new network or a new type of payment? And that was really intriguing to me and, and really interesting to me. And I dug deeper and realized that there's a whole host of opportunities of alternate payment types and acceptance methods for both merchants and consumers at the point of sale that I think the world is right for. So um, I, I ended up looking into different waveforms, different ways of transacting, um, different ways of, of processing payments. And I realized that Bluetooth was actually a really capable solution, capable technology and waveform. And it was ubiquitous. It was in everything, everywhere, Every handset and technology that was coming out had Bluetooth in it, and it was a, a, a method that was able to safely and securely move transactions over short or long distances. And that's when I began to explore how to build uh, a front-end network using Bluetooth technology, and that became the basis of, of Blue and what we do, providing touchless transactions uh, at the point of sale for both merchants and customers. Awesome. And yeah, great. So that definitely leads us into Blue. So um, can we maybe touch on who some of your customers are and the kind of challenges you can solve for them? Yeah, sure. So we really provide touchless acceptance solutions for large financial institutions, payment processors, telcos, crypto wallets, and we're really um, a front end waveform experience. So we're not selling directly to customers or merchants. Really, our customers are are packaging our solution, white labeling it or branding it or integrating it into their suite of offerings and then delivering it into the market in the use cases that their their clients demand. So it's really modular. Um, We really come up with solutions that our clients' clients can 
take advantage of in the way that you can and take a transaction without the need for physical hardware, right? You don't need using Bluetooth, you don't need traditional payment terminals. And even if you do have traditional payment terminals, you can still use Bluetooth technology uh, and our technology to take transactions using the mobile app or the handset that the customer already has uh, in their in their hand so or you know their phone. So it really is about empowering uh, our clients to deliver these solutions into the market in a really efficient and seamless way. And and you know I think it's it's evident with the COVID that you know there are new use cases and new experiences that card just traditional traditional cards and, and payment hardware is not built to uh, to support. Right. And we saw, you know, kind of stopgap measures like QR code come into play, but really you need to be able to deliver a suite of different types of solutions uh, for the different types of use cases that merchants and customers are going to want to see, including alternative payments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you touched on COVID, obviously. Can you give some more insight into your user growth, volume growth, and how you achieved it outside of COVID? <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you know our, our our user growth and our our client growth. We really we really focus on the acquirers, right? The, what you call um, acquirers or financial institutions that are responsible for um, for really uh, underwriting the merchants who are taking transactions from customers. We're really not focused uh, at this moment on directly onboarding individual customers or users on the issuer side, right? So. Um, an issuer could be anybody with a wallet, anybody that has individual users. Our focus is really building the road or the infrastructure for uh, for payments to run, right? So it's all about deployment. It's all about distribution. Uh, it's all about getting market saturation and, and making sure that merchants are, are Bluetooth ready or payments ready or touchless payments ready for when um, a customer approaches and wants to pay in an alternative way. And so we're talking to acquirers uh, in the U.S., you know, all of the top five acquirers um, in Australia, South Africa, uh, Latin America, Puerto Rico, and across Europe. So we're really a global company at this point, and it, it's continuing to grow uh, exponentially with the advent of a new uh, technology that we launched in partnership with Visa uh, called Tap to Pay or Tap to Phone Softpaw solution, where you're actually able to take a contactless card transaction on an Android device. So we added that to our suite of, of Bluetooth products to really say, you know, the future is mobile first. Um, and whatever it looks like, it, it's going to be a collection of different acceptance methods. And, and you know, really we're, we're, we're you know, forward focused and, and really number one in, in, in what we do, uh, being able to deliver those suite of products into the market. Wonderful. So if I'm not mistaken, you're, company you started your company before crypto really got going uh how has that development impacted blue we we started our company prior to you know crypto's explosion however at its core uh we were building this for crypto we were building it for the future we were building it for the ability for any type of payment type to run on this transaction method and the checkout experience to be ubiquitous Right. So if I'm a merchant and I'm, um, you know, a retailer and you walk up and you'd like to pay with your your card, you know, over our technology, the checkout process is going to be the same. And then the customer that comes up behind you wants to pay using, you know, Bitcoin, the checkout process is going to be the same. And the customer that comes up behind you 
uh, or the next person wants to pay using their bank account, the checkout process is going to be the same. So we were really designing this ubiquitous method of, of checkout, of acceptance, um, with the notion that, that crypto payments were coming in the future, but we were going to focus on traditional payments cards you know, first and, and, and really um, you know, get that use case down while we were building that roadmap and building that, that highway for eventually, eventually you know, crypto payments to come or alternative payments to come in the same way. Awesome. Okay. Looking far into the future. Um, so with that, with kind of that preparation and, and current situation of being able to use any payment uh, anywhere with Bluetooth, how does Blue approach security? Security was, was first and foremost the most important thing um, in the transaction process for us. The way that we, we designed it was that there, we, we tried to make the challenge of breaking the encryption, breaking the authentication, um, almost meaningless on behalf of the nefarious entity, that it, it, it wasn't worth the trouble. Right? So in order for, for you to, um, to intercept our technology, you have to you know, break the device ID on the phone. You have to break our encryption code on the phone. You have to break our Bluetooth encryption. Um, and then the information that you obtain at that point, you need to be able to, to break the, you know, the security in the cloud that's, that's ac- or, uh, securely storing um, you know, the, the, the actual payment information. Right? There's no clear text payment information actually moving over Bluetooth at the point of sale, um, which is very different than what happens when you swipe a card or dip a card or tap a card or even your Apple Pay, right? There's there's some security protocols that go into that process because you're actually moving, you know, what, you know, underneath all of that is your actual card information. And so we said, doesn't really, you don't really need to do that when you're in a mobile first environment. Um, you can You can have, you know, references to the actual information um, and, and still be able to create a really beautiful uh, checkout experience when keep the sensitive data you know, off of the uh, devices themselves and, and really do all that computational and secure um, you know, data mapping and routing and switching uh, in the cloud, which is a, you know, a much more um, containable uh, environment for, for doing that. Great. Great. Um, then let's dive in with kind of the broad question here. Uh, what does it mean to unlock value at the point of sale? Mm, so this is a <laughs> very broad. I know <laughs> this is very broad. This is very uh, near and dear, um, you know, to my heart because you know I have about 15 years of experience in the payments industry, and as I mentioned, you know, we we're building infrastructure, the roadway for payments, and you know, ultimately, when I understood, you know, the white paper of of Bitcoin and, and what it meant. It was really, really exciting. It was, it was incredible, um, you know, to understand that there could exist the possibility for an alternative means of payment in the market. You know, this is tremendous. When I, when I once again talk about developing countries or, um, you know, new markets that don't have, you know, sophisticated card infrastructures, or maybe you're, you know, under the, the, you know, governance of a, of a, of a regime that. You know, it's impossible to to economically move yourself out of that situation. And so, you know, having an alternative in, in order to build wealth or or, you know, 
or to provide for yourself or your family is fundamental. Uh, and I think that's that's a really important thing at the end of the day to think about the, the possibilities uh, that were presented. What I'm kind of uh, perplexed about is that there actually hasn't been any significant movement in the quote unquote crypto space to make a real currency, to make a real alternative payment method or infrastructure at the point of sale. And we've kind of like just kind of moved on to NFTs and um, and and what we're calling like Web3. But like, what is <laughs> the ultimate like real question um, of of this this beauty of this white paper hasn't been addressed in any significant way that I've seen. And so that has really been my focus, you know, as of late, well, you know, the entirety of, of the business, but as of late is really coming back to that original question and saying, how does it work? Right. You know, I, there's so many algorithmic proofs out there and different protocols and different blockchains. And that's great. You know, backend infrastructure is great, but how, how does it work? How am I as a customer, when I walk into a retail shop, going to actually pay for a good or service with an alternative payment method or a digital asset? How is that process actually going to happen? Right? I can tell. I can tell you how it happens with a card. I can tell you how it happens with a bank account. It's very easy, you know, to 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 lay out the infrastructure for how that actually happens. But when it comes to you know this this crypto environment, there's there's no real solution, right? Like, is there going to be a QR code for every single protocol and platform or gaming platform or wallet that the merchant has to display, you know, some giant board where you have to figure out which one is which and then scan it, you know, that, that's, that can't be it. And I, I think that's a really important, um, you know, question that, that has to be addressed and that has to be solved. And, and I think that's the key, right. To unlocking all of this value that's being created um, in, in DeFi and being created in, in this decentralized space is, is actualizing it, like realizing it, um, being able to go and, 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 and pay for goods and services um, like you would uh, with traditional fiat. That to me is key. Okay. So it definitely sounds like you've thought about it quite a lot. So have you come up with any solutions or what, yeah, what needs to happen to kind of reach that goal? So I think, yeah, I think um, where where I see some really exciting movement and success is, is in layer two, right? I think layer two platforms like the Lightning Network, for one, is, is really exciting because you are able to achieve, you know, some of the beauties of, of what this can provide, right? Almost near costless uh, transactions. Um, you can do real-time settlement. Um, you're, you're removing the intermediaries for a transaction. So you're really just focusing on the customer and the merchant. You don't have to have a financial institution that sits in between either one of them. Um, you know, there are some challenges, right? You, you have to look at the trust of the system. So the ability to do dispute resolution, um, chargebacks, uh, you know, underwriting, credit risk, fraud management. These are some, you know, basic components of traditional financial systems that uh, that have to be implemented in, in some, um, you know, programmatic way um, so that we don't kind of recreate the wheel and have another, you know, centralized version just running digital assets. 
but I think I think that's where you're going to find the success in, in the evolution of actually running payments is on on some layer two platforms. I, I'm like I said, I'm really excited about the Lightning Network and the possibilities there. And then you have to figure out the how, right? The actual authorization method, the method by which the customer is going to to check out. Right, is going to confirm that, hey, I want to make this payment. I'm going to make this payment. And currently we do that by, you know, either tapping a physical card onto a machine or tapping your phone. If you use Apple Pay onto a machine or, or dipping it or swiping it. Right. And so we, we're already in this movement towards a mobile first environment. And so for for us, we see, you know, our Bluetooth methodology as that front end how that's that front end communication layer to authenticate the customer at the merchant point of sale to say this person was here at the time and, you know, it was either their face or their finger or their six digit pin on their phone that authorized the movement of, you know, these, you know, funds from this wallet to this wallet ID. Right. And, um, and that's where we're focused on, on, on um, really executing. And then, as I mentioned, you know, on the back end, the settlement pieces across, you know, different chains is going to come and people are going to get you know, really smart at being able to figure those pieces out. And I just think the how is, is, um, is primary right now for us. Okay. Okay. I mean, you've already talked about it a little bit there, obviously, but what do DeFi payments look like at a point of sale? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. How do we, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, go on. So- so, so the, you know, I would take, you know, I'll just take our, our, our platform, for example, right? So sure. our, our goal is not to, um, to onboard individual users or customers onto like one singular wallet, right? It, it's that every wallet, uh, imagine, um, you know, is just connected to the network in some way, right? This Bluetooth network that we've created um, that's being you know, distributed via SDK, into your wallet, right? It could be your MetaMask. It could be, you know, your, your Venly. It could be, you know, any uh, mobile facing application can now become the wallet, right? Come the payment, um, uh, the payment item for the customer on their mobile device. And so when they approach the point of sale, they have the ability to choose how they want to pay, right? Maybe I want to pay with, with, my, my credit card at this particular merchant because I'm getting certain rewards or points there. Or this merchant has a partnership with this particular um, you know, crypto wallet or this you know, gaming platform where I can get some type of rewards or access to you know, some type of NFTs. So I'm going to pay with my crypto wallet at this particular merchant. And so you're creating all these different ecosystems between real world physical retailers and then what's happening in the metaverse. Right. So you're actually bridging that gap and allowing people to to earn rewards and to earn you know value, you know, doing what they're doing, whether it's you know, play to earn and then taking those rewards or those tokens and spending them at you know, merchants who are connected in that space. And it, and it helps the merchants drive you know, particular business into their locations for a specific demographic. Right. These communities are incredibly connected and um, and they're 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 really uh, vocal around, you know, what they're supporting or who they're, who's supporting them. So I think it's an opportunity for, you know, brick and mortar retailers or even online, you know, e-commerce retailers to get involved um, in the, in the token flow in a really significant way, but 
there's got to be somehow some some process for authorizing those transactions on the front end for doing that. And so, you know, that's that's how I see it getting really cool and really creative um, is being able to to make those decisions as a customer as to how I'm going to get the most value out of which, um, you know, payment type I use, depending on where I'm shopping. Mm -hmm. Is there a timeline you see for that? Or is there a way that those brick and mortar shops can get involved now? Or how far in the future do you feel that's going to (laughs) be? They can get involved now, but I do see there's going to be, there's going to be some time, right? Because you, you kind of, you have to present, the um the network effect right like so we are the sum of of probably you know a five mile radius of of purchases right so i think the average person makes about 29 transactions uh, a month on their debit card most of that is for you know typical you know goods and services grocery pharmacy you know gas these types of things so in order for me to maximize what's going on for me in the quote-unquote real world and what's going on for me in the metaverse you're going to have to see some crossover between those types of, you know, um, you know, we'll call like anchor, um, you know, retail locations and and, you know, these metaverse platforms before I think you really see some some um, some like real traction taking off. And you can have these, you know, one off use cases where you have particular brands um, that are, are key to the community. Um, and say, hey, look, especially from like online e-commerce, you know, let's say you're you're a particular brand and you make you make hoodies. So maybe you make a, a hoodie that's inside one of these play to earn games that, you know, can be bought using tokens that are earned by playing the game only. Right. You can only pay for the hoodie using the token. So now you've created this like feedback loop between, um, you know, the players and, you know, your your retail um you know, shop online uh, to bring them in. So those are kind of things that I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm sure will be popping up and that we'll be seeing kind of these unilateral, um, you know, collaborations between, you know, real world physical um, retailers and brands and, um, and what's happening in, in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so obviously when we're talking about funds and money, there's going to be a lot of regulation involved. So with the current regulation efforts and KYC and AML procedures, will it be, yeah, how do you think that's going to go? Is it impossible? (laughs) Uh, It's not impossible, but it, it is something to remember that you have to have, you have to have on ramps and off ramps. Right. So so there's no there's no DeFi or crypto that exists without the traditional payments infrastructure. Right. So everyone that's ever made money or created value in the DeFi space or in the metaverse had to interact with the traditional financial payment system. Right. You had to get value in somehow. Right. Whether that's by connecting your bank account or your credit card or whatever. Right giving somebody cash and then they go put, you know, Bitcoin in your account. It doesn't matter how you did it. You had to interact with it um, in some way. And there are, you know, regulations to those institutions and, and how they uh, underwrite accounts and, and, um, and, and give accounts to particular customers or underwrite businesses. Now, 
I do see those functions can be performed programmatically, right? The, the underwriting and the risk um, can be performed without the need to have a particular financial institution play that role, right? So um, what's interesting is you could you could have you know DAOs or you could have you know governance in in terms of how disputes are resolved between customers and merchants. You could have you know technology that decides like if I get I buy something and um, and the merchant you know, sends me an empty box and I dispute that charge, maybe then, you know, other users, you know, on the platform have to participate in the dispute resolution process between me and the merchant and we're supplying evidence. And, you know, maybe I have to over collateralize um, my disputes. Maybe I pay $50 for it, you know, or or the equivalent of in, in, in a digital asset. And I have to put up, you know, 55 into escrow so that if I lose the dispute, I don't just lose, you know, the 50 bucks. I lose, you know, more than the 50 bucks to protect against what we call like friendly fraud in the industry, which are, you know, people that bought something legitimately. And then, you know, maybe they had a change of heart. And then on the merchant side, you you can have different controls like, you know, rolling reserves and, um, you know, and that rolling reserves can be algorithmic based on the number of disputes or, or fraud challenges that you have so that a percentage of your, your total sales, you know, is always held in escrow in the event that somebody does win uh, a dispute, there is actual assets there to give back to them. Um, and you're not just kind of like taking the money and running. So, so I think there, there will always be some level of, uh, of underwriting or risk assessment uh, or for fraud assessment in order for people to trust the system uh, when it comes to um, especially onboarding or underwriting, um, you know, merchants, because, you know, there's just there's just nefarious people out there. You know, we don't want people using a system to, you know, to participate in human trafficking or, you know, drug trafficking. There, there has to be some level of uh, identification. But I think the functions that uh, are primarily done by intermediaries or financial institutions or the networks themselves in a centralized manner can be um, decentralized um, in a way that still presents fairness and um, and uh, and and efficiency, um, and, and they're not you know simply the judge and the jury, and it's distributed across the entire um, user base and network itself. Yeah, very thorough. Okay, good. So we've talked about onboarding or rather on ramp on ramp um and you kind of talked about you know more of a fully crypto world versus obviously having to go back and forth to fiat as we move forward though big payment brands like visa stripe paypal they're gonna adopt crypto eventually (laughs) do you think there will be room still for tools and wallets that have been built up around crypto or how will they integrate or what mm. what's going to happen there? I, I always think there'll be space for um, for these these kind of like you know, open source or um, uh, uh, private, um, you know, wallets and, uh, and and platforms and systems and, and and, you know, quote unquote, fully decentralized systems, because that is the nature of the original community that came into the space, right? And that's not going to disappear because Visa and, you know, and Stripe and, and PayPal, um, you know, are wanting to get in. 
you know, essentially they're, they're just trying to control the engagement of the customer, right? They're trying to control the eyeballs, right? Stripe would much rather you, you and your banks and Visa, you know, purchase cryptocurrency through them to keep you engaged, to sell you other things, right? To sell you credit and lending and some of these other products that they have. Um, that's really the, the, you know, the strategy here is they don't want to lose what is the key to all of this, which is payments to, you know, another third party wallet. Right. Um, and so you're going to see that as well from financial institutions. So I just think it, it creates choice. It creates choice uh, in the market, which we really haven't had before. Right. We really haven't had the ability to choose between, you know, what, do I really want to use my visa card at the you know point of sale or can I use, you know, another just third party wallet or like something else that isn't actually running on. Um, you know, the, the payment systems, right? Like, you know, uh, PayPal and, and Venmo, they seem alternative, but they're still leveraging the, the existing payment infrastructure. It's still banks, you know, behind it. But if I'm pulling out, you know, my MetaMask or some other kind of wallet at the point of sale, it's not interacting with, you know, any banking institution. It's, it's wallet to wallet, you know, my wallet to the merchant's wallet. And, uh, and that has never happened before. And so there's going to have to be some struggle for incentive. Like, what is the incentive for me to continue to use, you know, Visa or MasterCard or Stripe or, or um, you know, or PayPal or, or Venmo to, to, you know, hold my, my digital assets there uh, versus, you know, versus another, you know, open uh, platform? I think that's really going to be the question. And, um, and that's great. It's great for the market. It creates, um, creates variety, creates choice. And I think that breeds innovation. So uh, I think it's, there will always be a space for that. Awesome. Great. Um, are there, do you see differences in approach when it comes to value at the point of sale for different industries or differentiation in, in, in value at the point of sale. So yes, I do. I see, I see some platforms um, who are looking at how to accumulate supply. Um, So for instance, if I go to a retailer and I want to make a purchase using Bitcoin and there's some Processor or platform says, hey, you know, we can process cryptocurrency for you as a merchant and people can come up and pay. Why would I as a merchant accept fiat if the customer is willing to give me Bitcoin? Why wouldn't I just keep the Bitcoin? So I think there are some some platforms who are um, using some interesting language to talk about accepting crypto, you know, at the point of sale when really they're just, you know, creating their own markets, sitting in between as an intermediary between the person who's, who's, you know, ready to give Bitcoin. And then, you know, they're giving the merchant fiat and, you know, getting the upside of the asset. So uh, there are some strategies there that I've seen that are interesting. Um, And yeah, and I think it's, it's important for merchants and customers to be educated um, on, on the different acceptance methods and, and, what are the possibilities? Can I take a portion of that in fiat to pay my expenses and then maybe take another portion and, and settle that into a crypto asset? Is that a possibility? Um, and if they don't give you that option, is that really, you know, the, the, 
the primary you know processor you want to go with um and then as a you know as an exchange or you know as a as a wallet provider and then you partner with let's say visa or mastercard to issue your own you know card for have your customers you know spend at the point of sale it seems kind of like moving backwards right like you, the asset is already digital it's already mobile they're already interacting with it yet when they come to make a payment they're using a physical card on a network and a technology that was you know built you know 40 years ago um it seems it seems kind of silly so you know what are you doing as an as an exchange to keep that forward thinking progress at the point of sale um, for your customers as opposed to just kind of you know going the old route and just partnering with a with a network and giving them a physical card um, are there other ways to allow them to take payments um, or to make payments, you know, at the point of sale for merchants? Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, like I said, I think QR code is is there, um, but it just doesn't it doesn't create the type of of experiences that customers are, are wanting or needing at the point of sale. And it gets a bit clumsy and confusing when you have so many different wallets and options and so many different QR codes to be used that um, I don't know if that's going to be the primary means of, um, of of value exchange at the point of sale. And so I don't want to toot my own horn, but, uh, you know, I think a, a ubiquitous platform that, you know, that can take transactions regardless of um, the type of payment is, is probably going to be the preferred method. Okay. <laughs> no, no patting yourself on the back or anything, no, for sure. <laughs> Good. Um, do you see any specific industries or brands or companies or anything specific that is making waves or will be soon in terms of unlocking value? Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the, um, about the play to earn space. Uh, because, well, for me, like mainly because many of the the users, uh, or not the the players, are in developing markets, which you're already seeing have a higher adoption of you know uh, of crypto and understanding of crypto and trading, um, and using it to hedge against their you know native fiat um, you know for purposes of inflation, and so where I see the opportunity there is that a lot of these players that are you know, essentially earning a living is quote unquote, you know, a lot of the marketing jargon that's going on around this play to earn. It's like, okay, well, you're earning a living. How are they spending it? You know, what are they, how are they actually taking um, those funds? Are you depositing it into their, into their bank account, back into the fiat that, you know, that, that, you know, has some inflation risk? Um, Are they, are they keeping it as, you know, digital asset and then getting hit with, you know, gas fees on conversion, like how can they preserve the value and then take that value and go spend it in their local neighborhoods in their local you know villages in their local communities to actually provide for goods and services um, so I think there's a there's a real opportunity to unlock something there that creates tremendous um, a ripple effect in how these ecosystems operate so i think I think I'm excited about it i um, you know I really think that might be. Um, a really, really cool um, segue from what's going on in the play to earn to having these players actually using, um, you know, these tokens and, and the value 
that they're creating you know, in their local communities as an actual currency. Definitely. Yeah. With, with play to earn or with other things, other projects happening, what tips could you give project leaders when it comes to point sale value to really help move us forward towards this end goal? Okay. (laughs) Number one, study how payments actually work now. That would be my first, <laughs> my first suggestion, because uh, you know I haven't haven't had my experience being in traditional payments and then talking to people in, in the crypto space who have no idea how an actual credit card transaction works um, is is dumbfounding to me. I'm I'm, I'm really <laughs> like I don't understand it. Like that should be the first thing you do in order to build on on this new, um, you know on this new wave is understand what came before, right? Uh, so you need to understand how the systems work, how the processes work, who's involved, um, you know, what the responsibilities are, why it works the way it works, uh, and then use that information uh, to weave in strategies for, you know, merchant onboarding, um, customer you know, issuance, you know, fraud, risk, credit, all these things into your platform if, if you actually want to see, you know, payments as part of what you're doing. Um, I, I think that's really, really important. Um, and I think it, it, it's probably going to be, you know, a new position in all these, um, you know, these, these projects is like head of payments because it is, is actually super critical um, to this ecosystem continuing to survive. And, and you have to understand how things work now. Um, that would be my, my first tip. And then my second tip is continue to think outside the box, right? Like, iterate on what is there. It doesn't have to, you know, be a wash, rinse and repeat, like all the things that I'm saying about like, you know, credit and fraud risk and underwriting, um, you know, all these things. Think of new ways. There's new ways to do all of this stuff. There's new ways to do, you know, um, you know, credit risk. There's new ways to do fraud monitoring. There's new ways, um, you know, to do transaction settlement and, and authorization. And, uh, and that's the fun part, Right. Is, is saying, well, maybe it doesn't have to be like it did in the past. Maybe there, there are no, you know, linear chains of, of like shared liability. Maybe every single device or user that has the app is confirming the transaction and, and saying that it happened. And then that's what's, you know, um, being, um, you know, validated on the blockchain. I don't know. They're just, just think outside the box in terms of after what you understand about how payments work, what, what can come next? What could be replaced by the traditional system? I think, um, and um, and three, yeah, really talk to talk to merchants, talk to the business owners, talk to the businesses about crypto, about you know cryptocurrency. What what would they desire from this um, from this environment to be open to accepting alternative forms of payment? What are their needs? You know, what can be addressed? How can you partner? How can you, you know, drive more customers into that physical location? How can you, um, you know, open up, you know, new communities to them? Um, how can you how can you provide additional value outside of, you know, fiat to them in terms of, you know, their treasury and, and how they're holding cash and doing their finances and saying, well, you know, you could put, you know, our tokens on your books and, and this is what it's worth on the market. There's all different kinds of things that merchants are actually open to and interested in, and I think there needs to be a bridge there, um, you know, between the, the 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 platforms and and actual 
you know, businesses. Yeah, I think that's a really great summary. Those three points definitely fit well together. You got to find the box, ask about the box, and then get outside the box. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else that you'd like to say on the topic, or anything you would like to plug here? No, I mean, I, I just really love. I love the space. I absolutely love the space. It is so exciting to be in. Um, it's every single day something's new. And that hasn't been like that in this space for a very long time, right? Like credit cards have been around since the 50s. And they really, the structure hasn't really changed at all. And the systems hasn't changed. And, you know, these banks and processors are using code that was written in, in the 60s and 70s. And it hasn't changed and nothing's changed. And every day something's changing um, in this space. And that's why I got into it and why I'm excited. And, um, and, and yeah, just, just keep up the innovation, the excitement, and, um, and the inspiration. So that's it. Perfect. Great. Do you cool. have any recommendations on who we should have on Benley Expert Talks next? Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> Putting me on the spot. <laughs> That's what um, everyone says, but I do warn you. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm 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 like I I I can't I can't think of any at the moment. I'm sorry, I, nothing's <laughs> coming to mind. Oh my gosh! All right, well, you can call him out on Twitter later for me. <laughs> cool. Absolutely. Oh, I do have one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, great. What have you got? <laughs> have one. Uh, you should reach out to Danny Carpio. Danny Carpio, um, co-founder of Ready Player DAO. Uh, some big headlines today. Um, a friend of mine went to law school together. Amazing human being. Really excited for him. So um, I think you should definitely reach out to him. He's got a great Great story and, um, and and really, really excited for what he's doing. So, Perfect. Cool. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today about all of this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Pleasure having me. And hopefully we can meet in real life.